Hello, fellow travelers, my companions from far and wide. It's your host, Selfie Clark. Welcome to the first episode of XP for health. My fellow adventurers, my brave knights, my tank paladins, my devilish rogues, the babbling barbs, the explosion maids, the alluring dancers, humble woodland folks, or even the humble, peaceful innkeepers of a rowdy tavern. We're all here in the post-Demon King era. I've been looking to gain a few more... XP along the journey of life. While I may cry about the new gameplay mechanics that are infuriating me, while we still try to figure out the walkthrough or try to grind through a few more stats to perfection. Lastly, on my origin of the podcast, and of just giving you a snippet, a TikTok of what I want to delve into and what it will sound like, I proposed essentially to myself, if anything, because this is my podcast, I'm the one who needs to do the research, <laughs> to make a discussion or a deep dive research and kind of give my chance to do a memory lane into conversation on fear in video games, which terror, the shiver down your spine, having your heart pounding in your ears, it, it has so many different layers, it has many different forms it can take, I mean the, the layers of lore that happens because of fear itself the gameplay tricks that games can implement, the different humanistic mechanisms, I mean, the use of our own fear reactions compared to just clicking a button. I'll explain that a little bit more later. I mean, games have had quite, quite a few years to either perfect or Kind of play around with some things that not everyone enjoys, so they're gonna get some really piss poor reviews, or they're gonna have people praising a game that no one knows about, and they're just in depth talking about it, having the best time with something, or even just a crazy thing where we have game programmers, designers take a game and build it back up from its core concept and create either a whole new game from it or even redesign or reimagine the game with maybe better mechanics or accessibility. Hell, even just maybe they tweak it so you can play it on different consoles because not everyone can find a PS1 with reasonable price bands that they can get to their country because again eBay, Amazon, UPS, Brown, all that FedEx depending on where you live those things either can make or break the bank if you're trying to just buy one console it's wild 
again, things that will be discussed later, because, I mean, the whole fact of trying to purchase retro games is a whole other thing. I mean, technically that could go to fear, but that's just fear of your money swimming down the drain. But... We're gonna have this conversation. I'm, I'm gonna be talking. I'm gonna be babbling, but... I'm not an expert. I have not played all the games. I've not seen all the games. I have may have not even heard of blah 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 XYZ title. Because depending on what you consider fear, it may or may not fall into the conversation. I might even forget to talk about it. And even... It's my opinion. And even I'm going to be using the World Wide Web to assist me in finding maybe more details or a game that maybe I've not had a first impression of yet. But just to say, starting this conversation, I have yet to physically pick up and complete a Resident Evil game. Like, I have them in my library. Not booted it up and made a save to complete the game. So, understand, this is still someone who's a newbie. Still someone who is a semi-casual, semi-hardcore gamer. It just depends on which games we're talking about, but still. I've enjoyed hearing about the lore, checking out different people's walkthroughs, or even when I've had the chance to own these games one point or another, I've gotten to experience some tidbits of what the games can do. So, again, I do apologize if there is some major title I don't talk about, or I either give something too much praise because I don't have all the context, or I might downgrade something because maybe it's too scary for me. Maybe it doesn't scare me. But again, opinions. And we can always have a healthy debate about it because it's a video game, and I'd rather learn. Especially if someone knows a lot of lore or history about a game. Feel free. Plug it in on Spotify. Plug it in on any one of my social medias of Selfie Clark. S-E-L-P-H-Y-C-L-A-K-R-K. Sorry, I almost misspelled my own name. Scooting along from our little disclaimer. It's the first episode. It's gonna be a bit sloppy. I am getting some of this from a script, but I'm hoping to improv a lot of it so we're not getting that monotone sound as well. Oh. Just know things will improve, just like our XP will grow in due time. <laughs> now, I do hope 
and having this conversation in maybe delving into something you don't know about or even revisiting the terror, the horror, the bone-chilling experience you have with these games or would like to experience, maybe it will give you new sound, new found bravery to try it or to get someone else to try it. Maybe to play the game on the extreme difficulty mode compared to if you just did story mode. Maybe you'll be emboldened with newfound courage to give another game a go, or maybe you were able to get past a new obstacle. Who knows? I mean, you can take this and apply it to everyday scenarios too. What? anything have a healing moment have a moment where you just can move about with a good sense in the world in yourself in what you get to enjoy and consume through media and i don't know where this podcast will take us in due time but this is a good topic to talk about since I can express it with both true reality fear and fictional fantasy fear that you can have practically unlimitless things to happen and then you can apply it to real life where maybe you can calm yourself down or brave yourself or even just relax into it. In this grand adventure of the podcast, maybe in finding the fear that lurks in the darkness, we'll find newfound worth as the protagonist, the first person player. So let's dive into it. Now, I did talk about my inexperience of Resident Evil. I mean, it's a good one to tackle on first because Resident Evil 4 the remake or is it ooh, I don't know is it a re remake or did they did it like Last of Us that's a good question because that is going to change up how the story goes for us so let me actually just double check that I didn't need to look up Rune Factory. I mean, yeah, we're gonna talk about Rune Factory in a bit, but let's let's talk about Resident Evil first, okay? So it's a remake, okay? So I so that the remake just came out. The original game of Resident Evil Four came out in two thousand and five. You're able to play the game through Steam, pirate ways if you are down to go down that route, but I don't suggest it. But again, not everyone has the same access as everyone else. So, Resident Evil. It is a game that I know, based upon 
other people's conversations about it, the internet's conversation about social media, and even other streamers, YouTubers, content creators, and gamers alike. It has changed over the years. That is something... Mm, yeah, pretty much everyone can attest to that. Resident Evil 0 or 1, however you want to base the chronological time order, but basically, the franchise of Resident Evil has changed over the years. We have what began as a story that led you in a very small enclosed space of a mansion of sorts. I believe Resident Evil 0 you were in a train, unless the story progressed further beyond that, but still. The open world concept, or even the exploration of the game, had different limitations again, because what video games could do, and now what they've evolved to. Of course, I don't have the full plot of these games, so I'm not trying to spoil myself. So I'm not going to delve too heavy into any particular information sites. So I'm going off what I can remember and what I can look up without spoiling. <laughs> so if you're looking for spoilers, this is not the place to be. Now, obviously, open world concept, bigger and smaller areas, being closed, that's where we're going. Where Zero, Resident Evil 1, you start off into a mansion, so you don't really have a way of escaping, technically. You can run from your predators, run from your stalkers, run from the enemy, depending on which terminology you like. Now, what we can see from Resident Evil, you start off without really any kind of weapons. Your how people joke about in the series is where when you start the game, you're crying, running away, trying to solve puzzles and figure out clues and keys. But apparently by the end of each game, depending on your crafting or what you find in the game, or if you unlock special things, you'll be overpowered, killing everything with expert domination. But in the very core of it, you, you the player, you the character in the story, get dropped into a situation where the character is supposed to be somewhat of a trained professional, not just a helpless victim, but because it's a new situation where either you could call it infected or mutated or even otherworldly beings are trying to kill you because prime basic instincts of kill or be killed. I do hope I mean, sure, some people have opinions about if Resident Evil, the very first one, should even be remastered to have more open world or even 
different mechanics. Which, for what I've played, I really hope they don't. Because it's already iconic and a legend at that. So even though they've tweaked it a bit, we don't want it to lose the charm that it gave us the first time we played it. Especially, it seems the later games people had quirks about certain mechanics being used. Maybe they wanted to see more textures and details. But again, each person's going to be different in what they particularly want from a horror or from a survival game. what I was talking about being dropped into a situation where we are a professional character but we're not aware of the severity of the situation quite yet again it can be taken quite literally as maybe someone who's just left high school maybe someone who's just left college started their first profession and being exposed to something that they technically should be trained for in a way, but they're now having to deal with the moral and ethical dilemmas of maiming other beings instead of using their mind, their other skills in order to proceed. Which, I get it. I haven't played quite enough to understand if there is a situation that does present itself in the game, so bear with my scattered brainness on remembering. But we'll move past that and pretty much given into the fear, we're in an unknown place. We're in an unknown situation with unknown awareness or location of items that can be used to protect us. Quite literally, just the basics of survival are kicking in. And then added onto that, the risk of death, the risk of us playing the game, of having to start over, maybe losing items. I don't know if that's a consequence in the game. Pretty much having to do game over or you, you're you dead, you failed, game over, that kind of thing. Having penalties of win or lose. But then the game rewards you as you use your mind to figure out the puzzles, figure out the map, figure out where your enemies are going to be or how to keep yourself healthy without gaming over. I mean, that's the biggest point you can talk about in Resident Evil at the start, because from there, you have Mr. X who comes in, which becomes a bit more of a challenge than just figuring out the puzzle of escape and keeping yourself alive. You then have to worry about the fact of... What is it? Oh, goodness, what is the character's name that is here? Hmm. 
Oh, yes, of course. I absolutely forgot. I mean, the whole fact of the matter is when we talk about Resident Evil, tank controls, the camera view, you don't get to see right in front of you sometimes, depending on which way you're turning or which area you're entering into. So you potentially run into enemies. You run into a situation or a cutscene. Plus, most or all the doors that you see in Resident Evil when you enter, pause and zoom in on that door as it opens. Which just gives you a second to stop and kind of breathe and realize you're moving onwards towards another location. And especially the music. The music in Resident Evil, the ambiance, gives you blood-curdling screams, the sounds of fire, isolation with no one speaking, the sounds of chainsaws, the sounds of something coming after you, or potentially eating or killing another thing. Soundscape-wise, it adds just another layer to the fear because especially for the brain itself, if you can't see what is making that noise, your mind will start to race. It will start to figure out what to prepare for. And of course, you get the sweats. And you're kind of a sweaty person when you get scared. That's problematic when you're trying to hold the controller and it starts to loosen on your grip when you're trying to shoot an enemy or take a turn or, or lock a door. Which is funny, though. It breaks the illusion of the game when an enemy's chasing you and you're able to just jump through the door and it doesn't continue chasing after you. But again, the game can only do so much, so bear with it. Now, for where more things happen in the game. Unless it's three. Because number two... Oh, because two does have it where you have Claire Redfield, whose brother of... Wait, no, sister of Chris Redfield. So it starts to begin to open up the different characters, the development, the lore that's happening. Because especially if you've completed the first one, you feel like you've accomplished, but now, it's literally the meme of here you go again. And the whole thing of a virus, because especially 2023, we still have quite a bit of subconscious thought process and even learned information that pops up when we hear virus or illness or sickness because of COVID pandemic. So especially for a game like this, talking about bioweapons and then any of the military conflicts that are occurring, it, it gives you too many real-life issues and possibilities so if you're looking for an escape from reality this kind of will bring you back 
in a way depending on how you associate with it. Ah. So here, here is a perfect example of when I get a little lost with which game goes beyond which one, but Resident Evil 3, where we do play as people who are a bit more professional or elite in their fighting abilities or that they have combat skills, but not only do we have puzzles we have to solve and escape from a sprawling city, we have to worry about the very fact that we are prey to a predator that Nemesis is following after us with very how would you say maybe powerful or near invulnerable strength at the start until you're able to build up an arsenal to attack it do wonder if there's actually a way or probably there's probably a way people have figured out how to take out nemesis earlier than the game's intended but let me double check on that because I me mean, of course we have to deal with cutscenes and certain different characters or maybe areas you need to unlock in order for certain things to happen though is this game three where you have to deal with two people at once or does it continue to split you up no it does continue to split you up between two different characters which that in itself i forgot that would bring out fear as well because if one or other of the character gets maimed gets killed loses all their health game over you have to worry about not just yourself you have to worry about another person in the game besides any other child character that pops up. They love throwing in those escort missions every game that they get a chance. Like, I, I don't want to fight with a little kid who doesn't even have five health. Ugh. But yeah, the whole fact of the fear of you have to worry about the either the AI or your planning of the other person's weapons, arsenal, whatever damage or health that they have. Now about Nemesis being the antagonist of three, because I mean, he gets his whole freaking face on the cover art of the game. We have to defeat him through several encounters. He doesn't just go down once, you have to continue keep on taking him out keep finally until you can defeat completely see I haven't played through all of three so my track record on remembering what happened is fuzzy let's just say that <laughs> obviously we know nemesis mutating Continuing to get stronger, you need to find a way to destroy him. So then, now we're up to Resident Evil 4, which the biggest escort mission of them all because you have to deal with Ashley. I've not seen much of her personality, but the ever classic Leon is enough to grate on my ears. 
though people seem to like the character either way, so there's more to be seen. But Resident Evil 4, I mean, you do get to see the re-emergence of Leon Kennedy, now a much more seasoned pro or professional or fighter, whatever you want to call it, an agent. But he's sent into a location and gets bombarded. Essentially at the beginning with the whole, was it the village? Yeah, the village of people who just start bombarding him and he has to fend off, which hopefully the game gives you enough ammo and ammunition to work with because that seems a bit hectic to run into a village setting and then having everyone tr out to try to kill you. We have a problem. Now, I could continue on to, like, Resident Evil 5, but that's where it changes. I mean, sure, you can talk about 4. It has quite a bit of the action Michael Bay explosion kind of feel. Because, I mean, what is it? The game gives you, like, points for each chapter you complete, so it kind of takes away from the immersive terror feel and more of hey you're gaining more points to complete the round rather than you're stuck in here until you escape it's win or lose but then what i've seen resident evil 4 suddenly gives you kaboom but again it still has its fear because escort mission heavily being sent into a place, having to survive, and then even trying to keep someone else alive. I do know there's some other plot that's going on in the game, but I am not well-versed, so I'm not going to talk on it. Because then when we get into 5, it's not really a fear of the game itself, because it gives you a lot of adventure, a lot of action all at once, rather than being scared, because you're literally able to play the game with two people, so you can play the game with your friends. I mean, maybe you'll get fear because you're failing at the mission, or your friend has to carry, or they keep dying, or they can't find supplies, or they keep using the healing herbs instead of saving the ammunition. But I mean, that's more of Uno or Monopoly or Sorry kind of feel where you're just being an a-hole just to be an a-hole. Ah, <laughs> uh, because then... Yeah, this, this is where really my memory is fuzzed because I do not remember what even the premise of Resident Evil 6 is. Nope, it is a fuzzy fuzzy memory so apparently six is one that is just kind of like no one really talks about around me or no one wants to care to play it i don't know yeah i can't remember so we're just gonna skip over six because it's just dust in my brain because obviously the more relevant of the fear that returns is with seven because obviously Biohazard, just for one, Resident Evil 7 having the 
official Japanese title back into it. People are going to appreciate that because it draws back the lore and the web of story that it's going to continue from Biohazard to Village to what potentially could be Resident Evil 9 as well? Who knows? I, I have not looked too heavily into the information onwards. But Resident Evil 7, obviously, it sets you back in technically to a small location, a house in southern, what is it, plantation, Alabama, Mississippi kind of thing. Ding, 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 ding. But it starts with pretty much an undescribed dude just walking in and obviously getting his ASS handed to him and having to deal with horrific torture and kind of just decaying, rotting, kind of manipulated families and even people involved. Because again, I don't want to spoil and I don't want to look up too much information, but clearly people really liked where Seven went. But again, we have Six that pretty much dropped off the world and then Seven came back and everyone was so like, wow! I mean, Seven, I mean, it goes back to some of the primary fears of fighting, dealing with a dilapidated, rotting environment that clearly is meant to gross you and disturb you out. But then we get to eight, and honestly, the funniest thing happened. I mean, sure, people were excited for Resident Evil 8 or Village to come out, but the game developers made a very fatal flaw and gave too much sex appeal to the enemies. Because the very fact they don't give any kind of allure or or even a face to the player character. So really, all you're looking at is the things around you, which you get, what is it? What were their names? Big tall lady, vampire-ish kind of character, and metal daddy and bone, or what is it, boulder crushing, Chris? <laughs> And of course, there is some people who did look at, what was it? Oh, Fish Boy. Yeah, if, if there is some who were looking at him, some scalies, <laughs> but that's a problem. Took away a lot of the fear with having thirst for them. <laughs> Even though they do play out some crazy scenes for it, it still made its way to maybe become a gag or even lose the terror that it used to produce with the enemies. I mean, of course, if you look online, I'm pretty sure you can find a plethora of fanfiction in AO3 of Nemesis, okay? Well, let's be real. If there's a will, there's a way for some of these people to find 
quite elegantly written stories that may have involved plot or fluff or even just smut altogether. So, kind of hard to find fear in Village when it starts off with you on this epic quest where it starts off terrifying and you're losing limbs and you're trying to save your daughter but then suddenly you're met with hello <laughs> sexy babes <laughs> and then if you proceeded on past that you get even more metal gear insane over the top epicness that can be appreciated but then at times you're like really are we really doing all this we are doing the most okay but it does end in a like a warm fluffy cute sad way that's nostalgic for the characters and of course then we technically have what is either considered a DLC or a 8.5 with Rosemary that had the creepiness I mean sure if we're gonna fight about it Resident Evil Village does have some sections in the game that disturb that creep out that make you lose all your weapons that flips you back to the primitive instinctual fear of do or die but it doesn't last the entire game which pulls you out of that heart-pounding fear that will send you shaking but then for the most part it does the same thing with the dlc with the 8.5 because it does present creepy eerie areas that have just disturbing implications but it's still an action adventure type game where things are blowing up and epic powers are being released but i do like the story so not not me hating on it but just level of terror that can occur got a little lost so with 8.5 dlc we're then left in this void where potentially nine brings back the horror part of the game or we'll just continue forth and expand upon the survival part. Now, people have weighed in, they have made videos, they've made comments, they've written probably even dissertations and thesis on Resident Evil. But in due time, it will be talked about again. It will be explored once more things come out. So I can move past Resident Evil for now because it's a big part of the discussion that's happening right now for what is scary, what's terrifying. Let's see, I mean, obviously, Silent Hill. Silent Hill would be another one of the top contenders of the spooky, the eerie, the supernatural, the things that would keep you up at night when you play the game. And especially because the remakes are coming up, though 
Can anyone explain why we have a remake for Silent Hill 2, but we don't have a remake for Silent Hill 1? That's the biggest confusion, I have to say. They bring up this game, but they're not allowing new people to enter in with the first one? Unless, of course, they're gonna just scrap canonical information and proceed on and make a remake of 3? knows. Now, Silent Hill goes into survival horror as well. It's very significant for its foggy, misty scenes, almost the blizzard moments, the hell-like purgatory aesthetic that it presents with regret and never healing, never dying always in torment and pain. But Silent Hill as well bleeds into PT, which PT is significantly where I want to talk about fear. But again, you have to talk about Silent Hill. You have to talk about Resident Evil when you're discussing about fear in video games. There is a lot more of the games out there to talk about, but it needs to be addressed, especially because things have evolved or things have changed or been updated or scrapped based on what they've seen perform well or because they're able to expand upon the gaming power, the gaming graphics, or what the players are able to accomplish in a console. Not a console, I mean console. <laughs> I'm really out of touch with Silent Hill. Like, I'll be honest, it's just because I've never been able to acquire physical copies of Silent Hill like I've been able to acquire Resident Evil games. Which is very frustrating because clearly Silent Hill has more true terror, despair, and a massively heavy lore that spirals someone into madness. So I'm not going to really expand much more beyond that. What I appear to see, Silent Hill would have been a better one to entered into and played. I mean, I've seen a movie of Silent Hill and it had some disturbing, creepy content, but still, it doesn't do it full justice. It dips your toes in, sure, but it's not a great way to enter into Silent Hill. But PT, PT I can talk about. PT, for whatever true reasons, sadly never became fruition. It was never a full-fledged game that could proceed on. But PT played onto many psychological tricks in just a simple hallway. That The very premise that it was in just a walk-around 
just going circling and circling each time around darkening losing and even learning more of what was occurring in this space this dimension now obviously it did get deleted so I don't know if there's any legal way to play the game that I just need to make clear I don't know if there's an actual legal way to continue to receive it but I'm pretty sure someone if you really look through the pirate areas you could potentially play it again and because of it like the thing I was talking about earlier fans have made remix fans have taken the idea from PT and have formed maybe even something greater disturbing even better than PT but I've not delved into it I've seen a few games that are potentially releasing next year so fingers crossed that I get to see them come to fruition now it's obviously PT starts Ewan is just a strange place not knowing who or what or even how you've arrived here and you get to explore this small little house but you only can walk you can only move in a loop and you get to investigate events and puzzles now each time the loop is completed things start to change in the next loop around but as you're thinking you're just exploring you're walking the game changes on you with a hostile ghost that will potentially trigger with a fear which is bad because then it does the whole win or lose where you fail to continue through the loop now maybe pt is something that they are still redesigning or it is something that's maybe bled into the other silent hill games that they've talked about they're in production releasing but again I am not the expert, so don't take my word for it. Because uh, I mean, from PT, from Silent Hill, from Resident Evil, I don't really know if I could talk about death stratting, strating, stratting, the whole game of connection and bonding and human touch and exploration and Norman Reedus. Sure, you can delve into it with fear of people, fear of connection, fear of being alone, or even just the fear of death, because quite literally the game gives you a major penalty if someone dies. For one, you have to travel, depending on your location, an epic journey to take care of business. I made the mistake of doing that in my first run and then realizing, oh, 
I have to go take care of this. I can't just leave it be. Which I think last time I saved the game, I was actually on my way to dispose of a body, which was bad because then there's the areas that are with the glow or the, or is it the circle that appears? That, that in itself is terrifying because especially if you fail to sneak around properly, you have to end up in an epic fight that most of the time you are not ready for unless you've taken enough showers and enough bathroom breaks with Norman to supply yourself with weapons. <laughs> Which is a little funny that he gave you that kind of option. Which then it is the game's way of kind of making the character feel like you're exploiting the celebrity look-alike in the game. <laughs> Though it is fun that it does break the fourth wall sometimes and lets you lets Norman hit you in the face, technically. But yeah. That's the most I can really discuss on Death Stratting, because it is psychological the fear, but It gives you enough downtime in between this fear and stuff with this quiet, looming plot that's happening as you're reconnecting the United States. So from Death Stranding, Silent Hill... I mean, obviously I want to talk about so many other games, but how to formatted in a clear, concise way. Because, I mean, the first time I tried to record this, I started the conversation with Pong. Which, you have to talk about it. I've, I've mentioned it time and time and again. The whole fact of win or lose. Failing to be the winner, or even having a fear of not being quick or fast or having the reflexes to deflect an enemy attack, technically. But it gives people a chance to duel against each other in a very simplistic way that, I mean, someone can take it and elevate Pong into a full-scale deathmatch if they really wanted to. Now, Pong is like just the little, little nugget, a little tidbit of where fear even begins in games, where even you feel your heart racing. Sure, there's sense of competition, camaraderie, camaraderie, <laughs> camaraderie. The whole fact of two people can play at Pong. Competition, the adrenaline, taking bets on it, because, I mean, Pong evolves into many other types of two-person games. And a lot of arcade-style games where you're competing against one another, which you don't want to lose, you want to win. But that is very, very minuscule compared to Resident Evil, Silent Hill, PT, where you're fighting for your life. You're fighting against beings of unimaginable power and 
fear in just the different things that they can look like and what they can do. But Pokemon. Pokemon does involve fear as well. You deal with... For one, if you're able to capture a Pokemon correctly with the Pokeballs, every second you hear the little boop, boop, and if you don't hear that click, it plummets you back. But again, that pulls into gambling too, so you can't just say it's fear. I mean, there's fear in some of the lore that's talked about with Pokemon. Like, literally, if you've played the most recent entries of Pokemon, like, especially the... Not Sapphire. Gosh, what is it? What are these new games called? With the freaking lizard creature. Not Sun and Moon. God, what do you call these new Pokemon games? Oh, it is Scarlet and Violet. Oh my goodness. I don't know these titles anymore. We have too many. I mean, we freaking had Shield and Sword, which did produce a great amount of memes of the screen dog door and the dog with the knife. <laughs> I mean, for that, any of the more recent or even any generation, if you've looked at the entries for the Pokemon, they have some predatory and prey information that they heavily want people to understand that these Pokemon either eat each other or they attack each other or they are territorial and it's not just cute little creatures that live in harmony but no they are omnivores they are herbivores they are carnivores there is an ecosystem going on here which I mean of course you can totally ignore the lore if you just don't read it but that itself is kind of creepy when you start to realize that I mean go back to Lavender Town and the whole spiel of rumors and conversations that were being had about the music depending on which version you were listening to could cause some mental distress in your body. But again, I don't want you to search for that kind of information because I don't know if it's true or not. And I really don't want to test that out. Hmm. I mean, a lot of the plots in Pokemon are fear-inducing. I mean, take Ruby and Sapphire destroying all the oceans or destroying all of the land entirely wrecking the environment for one person's gain of certain Pokemon types but then that would throw the entire world into whack because then you take away a whole chunk of the world the types of creatures that are out there the different evolutions that can happen let's see that stuff you would have to search for. It's not blatantly in your face. Because most of the other things that happen in Pokemon are more rage or annoying, like running into the grass and always encountering a Pokemon, or not having an escape rope and you're trapped in one of the towers. 
maybe not having enough PP potion and then you're not able to use your powerful move anymore. Or even if you're just in a Nuzlocke and you get crazy legendary Pokemons fighting against you. So it can only go so far because they've taken away a lot of the terror that is either in the background or implied. Doesn't mean we don't talk about the Pokemon graveyard anymore. You don't see that. Even though it should still exist in this universe, but it's left in the older games. Hmm. Pokemon to Pong. I mean, I didn't say I was going to mention about Rune Factory, RPG games, dungeon crawlers, the simulation games, Harvest Moon we can talk about. But Rune Factory being maybe to consider an offshoot or a reimagining or even just a different take on the adventure RPG where you're going into a small town, a new place with a potentially powerful character once you've leveled them up. You enter into some elaborate plots where if you've played Rune Factory Frontier, you could have an entire island crash onto you, which bleeds into, like, fear of destruction, environmental damage. Hmm. I mean, of course, Rune Factory had a huge point where every time you would faint because maybe you weren't strong enough for an enemy, you didn't heal yourself fast enough, or you let the poison get to you. You then face a dilemma when you would awake in the clinic. Depending on who was in front of you, you were sweating. Because how much they were going to charge you for somehow managing to rescue you from whichever location you were at. And the number they could charge you could be from zero and let you leave to astronomically destroying your bank account. <laughs> that made me have to save quite a bit, being so scared and having to consciously worry about if I was going to lose every gold or whichever money system was in it. But again, it's more light-hearted fear in that. Sure, you have enemies, but it did give you a lot of crafting ability to survive and to move on and to teleport yourself out of situations. Unless, of course, you were just gunning for that save point. I mean, sure, there's Rune Factory with its fighting and epic adventure, but how is there fear in Harvest Moon? I mean, first and foremost, save the homeland. If you're entering in looking for a soothing, relaxing game where you meet all the people leisurely and plant your garden and get a horse, maybe get a chicken or two, no. Save the homeland presents you with a time management, a schedule to keep, where you only have so many 
in-game years to either procure a mass amount of money or to potentially woo the company's daughter or boss, I forget who the silver hair pigtails is, or one of these several other little side plots that could happen in order to stop the construction from taking place. That itself puts fear because you can't procrastinate or else things are going to happen. But from there, you have in the older games, because again, this has been taken away, which is frustrating, but I do understand why it's an implemented gameplay thing that they decided to scrap. Maybe one day they'll return it, but rival marriages, rival love scenes, the very fact that other people in your village could actually fall in love and get married and be locked out of being pursued and they could have their own kids. Having a sense of fear because you could stumble into the inn, the beach, the forest, and you could end up being trapped in a scene where you see your potential wooable candidate, your bachelor or your bachelorette, being wooed away, being sweeped off their feet by someone other than you. It does bleed into some NTR. But for the most part, people probably felt rushed if they had to worry about every area they walked into. But it was a nice touch to give people more dimension besides just sitting there waiting for protagonists to come love them. But you can have a sense of fear for that, because especially if you wanted a specific playthrough with a certain husband, a certain wife. I think they, yeah, I think they did take that away in the Rune Factory world, too. Eh, maybe one day. It still, it still irks me, but... It was once a way to lead people into scary situations with romance and jealousy and envy. It would have been interesting if they implemented a way, you know, to woo someone out of that relationship. It'd be a little dark, but it'd be interesting to see how that mechanic could play out in maybe a further game along. Because, I mean, technically, Stardew Valley, you can do that, but you have to divorce your spouse ahead of time. So they still make it really legal and cut clean. Ah, <sighs> Wonder Project. That was one that I've only recently discovered and have made to work on my game system. The very start of the game, you're dealing with a character who's not alive but not dead, that has the potential to grow into a powerful being. Though, this is with Wonder Project 1. Because then when you get into Wonder Project 2, the game quite literally starts you off with 
a character who doesn't even understand the concept of death, who's not even emotionally or expressively sad that someone who's taken care of them is now passed. Obviously, there's more information to be had from that, but if you pick up the game and aren't aware of some information about the series, it could draw you into a bit of fear, wondering what is wrong with this character, or is this character maybe psycho tendencies? But no, it's not in that fact. Let's see. More of the games... Because, I mean, we've kind of jumped about. Because, again, there is games such as Silent Hill, Resident Evil, that puts this terror right in front of you. That there's no easy way to hide away from the terror, the scaries. E.T., it's constantly faced with you. But then you get games of Pokemon and Pong and Harvest Moon and Wonder Project, where it's subtle. You have to go search for it. You have to go down the iceberg or you have to dig into more than just what's presented on the game screen. But then more and more games have re-emerged with the PS1, PS2 kind of style graphics or maybe taken back the textures and they still have quite a bit of fear and terror in them, even without being high resolution, which then speaks to the very easy logic of if you can't see the monster, the monster is more scary. Because a game you can talk about, but it is for 18 plus that excellently displays that logic where Song of Saya, Saya no Yuta, which don't look up the game if you're not ready for a explicit visual novel, okay? It's a wonderful psychological horror, kind of a eldritch horror kind of thing. But it is twisted in the fact that it plays on a very simple human emotion, need, train of thought, or even a fail, failure. Where? The game lets you know that everything that you're seeing is not truly happening. But the things you can't see are the things you truly need to be worrying about. I don't want to spoil too much, and I don't want to push you to explore that. I mean, we can talk about visual novels and how they describe horror another time. But that's a perfect example, because then there is different versions or adaptations that other people have tried to make because I think there's a comic that the western countries try to make and it ruined the fear of it all sure it dived into some more lore and information but it took away the isolation it took away 
the fear of imprisonment it took away what even is being human so I mean there's a lot of games in what is it Nitro Plus yeah that entire franchise or game development area has an excellent pool of creepy games that question humans question logic and question what you're willing to do to be happy to survive and what is right and wrong so move away from that because well, I mean we can talk about one other visual novel school days which and the surface yeah a cute romantic love triangle game where you can play as an entire d-bag or you can be just a confused young high schooler just trying to figure out his emotions and if you decide to be a d-bag the game presents you with the true terror the horrors of what people are capable of when you trample on their love when you constantly can't make a decision and when you waver between two not very stable mindsets because again when you play the game it is not on the surface talking about how these characters have problems they do have their little conflicts but if you're able to learn more about the characters you realize they have true truly dark problems that only emerge because they got themselves into this situation and i make it sound so elaborate but i mean i absolutely love the school days visual novel series because it hooked me into games of the visual novel type and it definitely introduced me to the yandere stereotype which some games take it over the top some games portray it in a interesting aspect but that bleeds into another topic besides just fear so we'll move along from the visual novels and continue on for if more games such as i mean the most generic way fear can be looked at call of duty zombies left for dead back for blood bloodborne five nights at freddy's mm, the last of us with those they have a big following of people who play the game elaborate on the canonical information there's a lot of action there's a lot of shooting a lot of hand-eye coordination but these present the terror right up front without making you wait sure you could debate it on five nights at freddy but still the game has been around long enough that so many people hear tidbits of the story or that when you enter into the game 
you already get a sense of something's not quite right with your job as a night guard. Or that you're having to vigilantly protect yourself against animatronics when in true real life that makes no sense to have to do that unless someone was coming to steal them. But the only thing that's coming to steal is the animatronics to you. And I mean, they still work. They have a big story. They still have a big following. They have enough activity and stimulation that keeps you going. Like Call of Duty, they give you achievements. They give you unlockable weapons and customized colors and keychains and all this in order to rave on. Bloodborne excellently portrays this world where some of the people have tried to preserve themselves beyond the natural limits and you see the twisted forms they become. You see the epic fights, you see the gore that occurs. But then Left for Dead, it is a series that had quite the big falling. It still has quite a few who adore the game and want it to continue. But more so, the lore and the fandom has created a lot of information in the background that talks about the characters more in depth. That's where you get more of the fear because it is an apocalypse, a post-apocalypse area. Everything's encroaching upon it and you only have so many survivors with you. But still, it is a shooting kind of game where you're fighting and moving along and doing cooperative play. So you don't truly have to be scared. Unless, of course, you don't want the round to end. But then you have zombie games of The Last of Us, DayZ, WorldZ. There's an. Oh, Walking Dead. Wow, I almost skipped over The Walking Dead. Ooh, I almost missed that. Those. They delve into many different aspects of what a zombie can even be, how the world ends, what humans become, and even how you don't have to worry about just the creatures, you have to worry about people that are standing at your side. The fear bleeds into Reality, it doesn't just sit with the impossible reality of doomsday. It shows you that the human counterpart could betray you, could have someone kill you all because they thought they could save somebody else or because they were scared of a bite or they needed weapons or because cults power-hungry people. Doesn't mean we get The Last of Us, that's been playing recently, and the game's been built back up from the ground up. And it deals with 
a very terrifying wave of infection that does not have a very quick and easy fix, but it could take over very fast with very little face face value or what do you call it? I, I, I don't know what to describe it as. Give my brain a moment, okay? Give my brain a moment. <laughs> okay. Besides the fact that in The Last of Us, it has a infection that is fast and causes great amount of mutation. It has no cure when you're playing in The Last of Us the first one, because I don't know what happens in the second, so bear in mind, my information is limited. But then it shows how people became corrupted, how even finding a cure was pretty much snuffed out of a possibility that shoot first, ask questions later became the primary suggestion for everyone. And then realizing medicine, protection, basic nutrition was something that had been going for a while, but really it was going to end at some point without some kind of shakeup to the system. And then when you see into the show, it gives you very personal, up close moments where life could have been happy, life could have succeeded, but other things are at play at once and it snuffs out that little bit of hope or it changes the idea of accomplishment or what it means to be brave. Now, if you look at The Walking Dead, especially if you look at Walking Dead, the VR, you get to be uncomfortably close with breakable weapons against enemies that will come at you if they hear you in game. Very scary, especially if you play the game without that knowledge at the start and then start to end up running into more and more of the hordes that will overpower you. Because then if you play the World War Z games with the fast-moving zombies, you don't get a lot of time to save yourself. You don't have an opportunity to just mosey on. You have to do or die. As well, any of these games that deal with post-apocalyptic themes, locations, or inventory systems. I mean, Zelda Breath of the Wild deals with that, even though it's such a relaxing environment, pretty much 85% of the time, unless you're in battle or you stumble upon the Guardians for the first time, 
you you know that music plays as soon as you suddenly walk upon this dilapidated area and it starts blasting lasers at you, especially if you were low health already. It does introduce the blood moon, the red moon, where enemies reappear, they become stronger, and if you're not able to move away from your location, it becomes a full-out battle that, sure, you have infinite bombs, you don't have infinite hearts to survive an onslaught. Hmm. Sure, there's many titles in the Legend of Zelda series that deals with terror, deals with existential time, parallel universes, failure, success. But Zelda is such a big series to talk about just fear. I mean, I should still dip my toes into that conversation. Or, I mean, we just went to the start of post-apocalyptic, sure. Zelda is in a post-apocalyptic world, but there's many other titles. I mean, I am here from the PS3, PS2 era. It was very grayscaled. Survival. You definitely dealt with the fact that people were bad. They did not have laws or rules or morals or ethics to keep them from maiming the main character or that you were traversing across a near destroyed area that for most people would not even try to traverse against broken bridges and I wire trapeze acts just to move along I mean, it plays into just a very simple fear of destruction, being left on your own. And simple point-and-click adventures that deal with post-apocalyptic worlds still bring in a lot of implications. Such as the last... no, not the last of us. What is the other game I'm thinking of? Similar title. The Last Door. Of course, the game I've played before. The entire fact of a cult, a being beyond the veil, was trying to get to the human side of the world. And our character, having no memory of this past, of this occurrence happening, falls prey to it because of their duty to a friend. The eerie nature of it all, the paranormal. Not everything seemed like it was truly happening, but it was. The implication of death. Implication of necrophilia. <laughs> I mean, God, talk about that, because that came up. And I was very shocked. So they did end up hanging that character, so there's something. Mm. 
mean, my goodness, if I'm going to look through a long list of manly badass heroes videos of point-and-click adventures, there is quite a few there. But let's move past that. We do 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 Post-apocalyptic. I mean, still talking about The Walking Dead because we talked about the VR. I need to talk about the Telltale games that were created based from the comics, the show, and any other game that came out. I mean, we're not really going to talk about the Daryl crossbow one because it's it's an adventure game. It's not truly a scary game compared to when you're dealing with the choice-based adventure with the series that follows Clementine. Because the very fact of the matter is every choice you make changes the human interaction depending on what it does can screw you over for your characters and it could open up different possibilities to save someone or learn new information for the most part it does lead to quite a few tragic ends to some people but it gives you a disturbing reality of what happens when a zombie outbreak happens and you're just one person trying to survive and you find someone smaller and weaker than you that wouldn't survive without the kindness of you to save them and then for the fact of the first Walking Dead ends with Clementine having obviously PTSD and a hardened heart to survive now and a better set of skills it shows you a story of a kid growing up in doomsday you know the people around them that both help progress them forward but even hinder and put new obstacles that this kid should have never had to deal with like killing a mother or stealing or even trying to tell people that the truth happened or helping a friendly pet in the forest there's many ways the game twists happy moments into dark reality I do feel like I I'm rambling a bit on this, but I feel like I'm getting across most of the content I'm wanting to talk about. Sure, we can always revisit this episode and polish it up if we're wanting to hone in on maybe just one specific game, one specific type. But I mean, we're taking a huge list of horror, psychological, subtle, not subtle, fear games. Does mean Dead Space, that falls into this. I mean, I don't know if it would be considered post-apocalyptic or if it's just a genre that's considered for aliens specifically. 
And it could even fall into fighting and survival horror as well, but it gives you dark, unseeable terrain that you're fighting from enemies that are clearly powerful, but you need to sneak sometimes and keep your cool. But again, I haven't played Dead Space too much, so don't take my word for it. Oh my goodness, I forgot. I mean, the whole premise of hide and seek in video games, in horror, in terror, in stealth games. Amnesia. Amnesia. But descent to darkness? Descent of darkness? What is its official title? Amnesia. I don't need to look up moths, though. Amnesia. The Dark Descent, and apparently, what? Machine of Pigs? I don't know what that other title was, so we're just gonna ignore that. Now, Amnesia. You're exploring, you don't have any weapons for this game. You, all you can do is run and hide and explore. And sometimes you have to deal with enemies that are unseen and you have a very shoddy camera or video camera to see with, which has limited battery capacity. Big, big pull to the fear aspect. And it's a game that came out when 2023, that came out 10 years ago. And it still has high, high regard, high reviews to it. And especially because it's a first-person adventure, so you don't have willy-nilly all the view of the camera. And so you're running and hiding and trying to stealth about. And it is a big area. It's not just one itty-bitty little cottage. Because, I mean, literally, dark descent. You're descending into further terror, madness, and disturbingness. don't know if they ever made like a multiplayer version to this game. I know people talked about it for a bit, but who knows? But yeah, any of the games where you're stealthing, you don't have weapons, or you need to complete a certain task in order for the game to complete, such as Slenderman, that had quite the following. Yes, for good and bad reasons, because sadly there was real life unaliving that occurred because of that fandom. Tragic to say the least, but the scary game itself, the creepy pasta-ness, the completionist sense of it all, had you adventuring to an unknown end that you only knew as escape. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> One game I can really, really talk about. Visage, 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 Visage. 
quite a game that... That only came out like what? Four? Three? It hasn't been that long since Visage has been out though. And it's on most of the platforms that I'm aware of that are regular common day consoles. I'm going from Amnesia, am, Amnesiac Amnesia, where you're having a elaborate fear situation, stealthing and hiding, not being able to protect yourself, to Visage that took you to a small environment that somehow expanded into a whole new dimension, but Visage took me. Let's see. Visage I started in 20... Did I start in 2020? Like, I think I bought that game only after it came out. Oh my gosh. It took me well over a year of trying to play it without spoiling myself. For one, even though it's a small map at times, it gave me such grievance with my fear to not use my logic. And even the game itself disturbed me at times. It, it was the kind of game that truly affected me the entire way through that I had to go outside, touch grass, see the sun, see happy things in order to calm down from the experience, even though it was so elaborate, so over the top, that my brain could use the logical part and say this is not really happening, but the game experience immersed me so excellently. I felt I was in the game, which really, for what it was achieving, I would have never finished the game if it was in VR, honestly. It sets off talking about the game as a walking exploration, though you have to worry about unknown, unseen enemies at times terrifying to say the least I didn't realize that when I started the game because I made the silly decision of entering into the game for the the crutch that starts at the stair which was Rakan R-A-K-A-N yes This opens up a different chapter than I was anticipating because I thought I was going to go click on a pretty picture or something and begin the actual demo part of the game that I knew about information, but I ended up ending into the mental asylum, the faceless, the... How do you call it? walkthrough where you have to 
be on your toes, essentially. Um, I enjoyed Visage. For every time I finished a chapter, for every time I finally got the VH tape, I breathed a heavy sigh of relief. I was kind of in that hyperventilating kind of little <laughs> kind of crying thing. Because the soundscape of Visage put me in a place of wanting to run. Even though the game heavily talked about at the beginning that it was going to have a lot of puzzles, it was going to have me try and try again to succeed, I still would spend so much time just trying to move my location away from the sounds that were scary. And you kind of dealt with the whole prey and predator situation where something is lurking, something is coming after you. Now, you can entirely avoid them if you go to certain locations or if you're able to close doors, depending. I would still come back into the game and be very confused of what I was trying to achieve in that point and then meet with the attacker, the stalker, and then lose all track of my progress. It presented you with so many different ways to unsettle you at best. It gave you a lot of times where you couldn't tell if this was their reality or if this was truly what was being seen by the player or even metaphors or if this was an extension of their madness, their mental state, or even their sanity. But it off-centered me so much that this is the kind of game that I want to continue to play, to feel that scare, to feel the overbearing, like heavy breathing on your neck that you had to keep moving. You couldn't sit still kind of thing, which this is probably why Resident Evil didn't affect me as badly because since you would have safe rooms, you would be given an opportunity to collect yourself, to find the materials you needed and to re-center yourself. But in Visage, at any moment, the system, the game, the AI could just decide to pop up. It would slowly make its noise or its indicator, or you would walk right into it, and then that's all the uncomfortable sound effects you would have to deal with, or the game reloading. It wouldn't technically end another part of it later on in the game and explains that whole idea but still you go through the main part of the game but then there is more at the end that leads you to different types of endings 
depending on what you decide to do. It did give you more puzzles, but it did lead into the world more and more aggressively. When I finally finished Passage, kind of relief both in the fact of completing the game, surviving the game, but even seeing through to the end what the game developers wanted you to see. It was impressive. It was terror. It was everything I could feel in a game that pushed you to uncomfortable fear compared to just having ways of saving yourself. This really didn't give you that besides your wit and motion to get to the end. Ah, oh, the amount of videos I've just seen on the lore and the background of Visage is a ridiculous amount. But moving on past Visage being its own specific type of terror and horror game, there's more subtle where fear creeps up, such as Doki Doki, Literature Club, where you're very confused on sight of checking out the game page or the Steam page or the YouTube or people talking about it. You see cute, colorful, bright, happy anime girls. You see literature, you see simple visual novel, and yet in the tags, it presents you with psychological horror. And with that in mind, most people click on it right then and there. Some people will go and read the reviews. Maybe they'll ask someone about it. But for those who blindly went into it as I did, you get a soft, warm feeling of going into your day-to-day -day life, being introduced to all these new people, and then suddenly you're presented with a real uncomfortable problem that suddenly escalates to the worst possible end. But the game doesn't end there. It somehow continues, yet no one else is none the wiser of this horrific ending that has occurred besides you, the player. Because even the game character themselves you were guiding just proceeds as usual, but what's more, besides just Oh, maybe this was just a bad ending you got. The game starts to seem to break down. Quite literally, the game is ripping itself apart to both fix itself of this 
bad ending that you've accomplished, but even to limit your choices for some reason, even though the game's premise gave you a plethora of choices to make, but somehow these are all bad things to be doing. And sure, if you're a really good gamer, you might realize what the game's trying to point you to, but when you enter it without knowing what is beyond, you're confused and you think either the game is playing at a trope or it's breaking the fourth wall or becoming meta or that something else has now awakened in the game and it's coming closer and closer to the character until you're presented with several more subtle yet eye-opening experiences that lead to yet another horrible outcome that finally rips away the curtain of the illusions, the tricks, the game trying to hold itself together and it reveals its true nature. And this is a lot to spoil on this game, but then with its technically reboot updated version that came out with Doki Doki after so many years, it gives you new lore that opens up the possibility of another world, another dimension, or even another layer to the reality of it, which is wild that the game itself understood it was a meta game, so it would play into that and let people dig into it and almost a community project. And with the newfound information out there and this new update of the game, it gives you these fluffy moments, but even in the background, it gives you some dark revelations as well. And another game that kind of does this, but with another game that takes from this premise in a way but works on some tropes in games as well as a new one that has just made some more updates. Slay the Princess, which it appears a storybook adventure. Though you are presented with quite a few choices, their narration seems quite lively and resistant to any other alternative solutions to, hence the title, Slay the Princess. And from there, the game doesn't end. The game pulls you into this loop, almost, this 
layer by layer or, or maybe even multi-universe experience that expands upon itself with each play, which each encounter that tries to succeed or fails to succeed at slaying the princess or finding another solution. I haven't played the new updates, but still, from what I've experienced thus far in the game, you have a plethora of choices to make. But those choices do affect later gameplay as well. Now, with these new updates, I don't know how much it changes what has been already established, or if it means the game's finished. But we will find out in due time. It's ever-growing universe that is developing from it. It almost seems alive when you begin it. Fear in itself, it bleeds into our real life when we play these games. And it can even linger on afterwards into reality. Pretty much any game that stands to be psychological, horror, fear-inducing, high stakes, it's kept a certain model to it. Sure, there is a few games here and there that have both played into it, played out of it, broken the mold, or even eliminate it altogether from it. I mean, with the COVID pandemic, we have seen another boom in Animal Crossing, a game that has no death unless you're modding or any homebrewing. But Animal Crossing is another title where you can find peace, serenity, and a wholesome community that has nothing dark around its corners. Unless, of course, you find the scorpions on your island. Now, this is from the knowledge of New Leaf and New Horizons. The original Animal Crossing, depending if it was the Japanese release or if it was the Western or European release, there may have been some things lurking in the background that they put in there. Sure, environmental damage, resetting, changing your time, leaving your island for years at a time. Maybe they did something different that guilt-tripped you or manipulated you or even gave you the dread for debt in the game. But for a player who's experienced New Leaf and New Horizons with a heavy amount of gameplay and knowledge in what I've looked into the lore, you essentially have a world where you have escaped society, you have left the hustle and bustle and 
You can do as you please at your leisure for however long you want with no one ever disappearing if you so choose it. But there in the lore, there has been a few that have found a way to find darkness. Though we don't know if it's officially canonical information, it speaks a logic, really. I mean, the fact that the player character, the mayor, the representative, could be someone who doesn't see people as people, but as animals. And from a poor animal. Oh my god, that word. Anthropomorphic creatures. Where we could talk about mental illness. You could talk about someone who disassociates. Have a discussion about the mind and the brain having a disconnect of how to recognize other beings. There's a few research papers that have come out that talk about this. And it is an interesting little nugget if you search hard enough. But for the most part, it is soothing, it is peaceful, and capitalistic and money-hungry if you play the game that way. I mean, it technically bleeds into the real world where real currency can be traded for certain digital animal crossing items, characters, villagers, if you so choose to search for that. And of course there was the era of the trading cards, the different packs that came out, the the need or the want for more games like Animal Crossing and some other games delivering a similar non-violent experience, which can be appreciated because not everyone wants to hack and slash, not everyone wants to deal with fright and terror and quick time events when they would simply like to take an adventure into a story or harvest a crop or two. That is the other side of hearing games where most games now you have become trained to expect certain events to happen or if you suddenly see a save or are given a plethora of healing or ammunition or a character talks in depth about their life, you feel you're seeing death flags, bat boss battle fights. And we can dive back into some of the more twisted games that have come out that or an entire parallel to the soothing, relaxing time. Delve into something that is a bit more uncomfortable. Sure, 
Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Walking Dead, they do have their controversial topics, but they give you implication, they do give you time to work into some of these terror and horror aspects, but games like Rule of Rose don't give you a lot of leeway before they just drop you into disturbing scenes because do not play Rule of Rose if animal cruelty, small children, orphanages, maybe faceless enemies as well creep you out there's one that starts off with a fairy tale but you don't see what is truly reality and what is a story it gives you fright and it gives you the implication of abuse in many different forms verbal manipulation, grown adults, animals, hygiene. Oh my goodness, if you are not fine with seeing the implication of just filth everywhere, metaphorically or not, it, it sets you back. It makes you curl in on yourself. I mean, I did talk about Sayano Yuta earlier, and that has its own controversies in itself, but it made sense at the time to talk about it then. Rule of Rose is in its own category. It's a fantastic game, but if you're not prepared to dive into something uncomfortable, just to make a mention about, I'm not aware of any rhythm-type game that deals with terror, horror, so we don't need to worry about DDR eating us or scaring us in our dreams. <clears throat> dating sims? Well, I mean, technically, Doki Doki falls into a dating sim. Harps Moon, technically. Well, there's a few more indie dating sims or indie games that have romance that turns deadly, cannibalistic, violent, yandere. And they do present creepy factors such as characters who become amnesiac and they can't remember their partner or their backstory or why they're trapped here. Those talk about very very complicated and complex topic of abuse, Stockholm Syndrome, not being able to trust other people, very fact that someone can wear two faces, have two different masks, and think two different things about you. 
But then on one hand, they can love you, but with the other hand, that love could become an obsession or even a fixation. Hmm. But again, that would probably bleed into another topic since fear in video games is very general. We shouldn't dive too heavy into one type of game. Oh, I totally forgot. I mean, we talked about humanistic mechanisms, gameplay tricks, Until Dawn, the quarry, any of the dark anthrology games that came out from Supermassive Games as well. Those play on doubt, they play on fear, they played on quick time reactions, they played on your ability to assess what is real and what is not real. Very fact if you can hold yourself still in scary situations, and if you're able to fend off unknown beings while dealing with human relations at the same time. It's not the first time it's been done, but it's a big mainstream game where you started off with something that seemed like a simple, straightforward teen murder mystery that bled into several different types of game that played back to back for a sense of the prequel story, the patient, and the information you are receiving about that during Until Dawn, and the present day situation with strained relationships, and then Josh's own story that's going on that no one's the wiser for most of the game, which then opens up the next arc of the game, which, based upon even your decisions before that point, you're either going to be successful or everyone's not going to make it out until dawn. Now, the quarry... The quarry did take some time to come out, but... The quarry does feel more complete in the way of the characters that are being discussed. But its jump scares at times were confusing because of how the game was described as. Because you weren't quite sure if things were truly happening or if it's maybe the game's way of guiding the player character in a way that doesn't break the immersion. But it still leaves you with a lot of questions in the end, especially leaves you with a hollow feeling of victory, because it's not truly a victory for everyone. It's only revenge at the end of the day. Sure, for the people who got mixed up in the situation with no involvement before, it is victory. But everyone else, it's just an eye for an eye. Which does bleed into the fear of 
was it a destined situation or was it a mere the right time the wrong place because then when you get into the dark anthology games it feels more specific to things are concurring together because a beautiful perfect storm happened where the right kind of dysfunctional characters to enter into the eye of the storm and it feels good either way the how the story ends so even with the jump scares the eerie moments and not understanding what is happening until mid-game you feel a bit more accomplished in the end compared to the quarry or until dawn depending on your choices but since they are sh shorter stories, they have to compact a lot more in for the player's attention and retention. Can't think of... Well... Ooh, well, right. Uh, da, 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 what is it? DBD, DBD. Dead by Daylight. It does fall into hide-and-seek, but it does fall into PvP as well. But it is supposed to be a game of fear and looking over your shoulder. But I mean, with media and everything, it does have a side where you can have just goofy shenanigans. Because, I mean, with all the mods and stuff that happened in the Friday the 13th game, that quickly lost its fear appeal and more of memes and shenanigans. But at the core of it, being hunted down by an assortment of different killers in DVD that have strengths and weaknesses that you don't know about if you're playing as a survivor. But if you're playing as just someone who's running through this to get ranks, it loses the terror a bit, besides the win-or-lose, the live-or-die sensation. Other types of game that could bleed into specifically fear itself. Phasmophobia is in the same vein of DVD, hide-and-seek kinds of games. There's a mummy version to it as well. Not entirely same premise, but killer player characters trying to escape from an area. Different puzzles and mechanics. So I know there's Identity V, though it has too much of a cutesy feel to it to feel scary. Siren. Oh my goodness, Siren. That's something that. I mean, it is an escort kind of mission game. It has an excellent soundscape and a different kind of mechanic in order to both succeed at the game and realize how close your enemies are. Essentially, Siren, the Forbidden Call from a PS2 game that has a port for the PS4 you can play it on, it really did require you to wear headphones to get the experience. But you play multiple different characters over multiple different times 
and your decisions from multiple different people affect different time brackets in the game, so... Unless you have a walkthrough, it's not something you can see clear as day, the domino effect. But, most of it, you really can't fight your enemies for long. You can disable them, stun them. But your main way of surviving is stealthing and hiding and guiding your escort along. But, the biggest thing about Siren is you have some kind of link, some kind of psychic sense where as you move the controller around, depending on a 360 kind of movement you can do, you're able to see and hear the enemies closer or further away and lock onto them, which gives you that heavy breathing effect. Now, from what my experience is, it can get a little frustrating because you have limited ammo, you have limited times of stunning enemies, and even figuring out where to go on the map. But the enemies are slow moving, and some of it you don't see them until you link up with them, which is a big problem when you get further into the game because you're having bigger stakes involved as if one person goes down, someone else in another line of time is affected. But I haven't finished the game, so I don't know how heavily that is effective on the end game. But still, it felt like there were some consequences. My goodness, I mean, just my own experiences with scary games terror around every corner it leaves an impact on you yes animal crossing final fantasy stardew valley drum games dot hack sign they all bring to the table a different motivation to hurry or to explore or to test things but when the game presents it with fear rather than wonder and curiosity it starts to twist how you perceive the game how you operate and even with that they have to realize if they put you in a state of fear to continue the game, they can only go so far before you crash on it. Unless, of course, they want you to experience that breaking the threshold experience of fear and terror. Mm, it's a possibility on that. There's probably some more thought process I should think about on that, but hey! We'll do that on my own time. Oh. I don't... Well... There's next year where I have those Eldridge existential horror games coming out. I don't have any others that I'm specifically honing in on that I haven't heard about. And of course, I'm gonna give Resident Evil finally the time and energy it deserves 
so I can experience it all. And of course, once I finally get into Silent Hill, it'll be nice to see what else they're cooking up in the background. I can't think of anything else I could discuss about fear at this moment. Sure, we could go in circles about the punishing facts of how some games like Clock Tower or Haunting Grounds will make the game more difficult for you when you're scared that it punishes you and makes the difficulty go up but it gives you a lot of opportunities to save yourself from this by choosing not to explore or choosing to mind your business or by either playing the game more than once or being sneaky and testing what can be done in stealthing rather than running. Hmm. But I think I'll leave it at that. That way I have a good chunk of information out there. Sure, I might ramble a bit, but this is a good way to enter into the podcast scene for the adventures to be had, for the eye-opening experiences that basic fear can do when you try to solve a puzzle or why a game wants to deliver a story in a disturbing way rather than a soothing, calming, collecting, but I mean like Doki Doki, it reels you in with promises of cupcakes, honestly. Cupcakes and cute girls to talk to when really an entire other world lays on the other side of opening that game and letting it read your game files. Just Monica will live in your mind. But I think I've gained a little bit of XP from this. A little bit of contemplation on why I enjoy being terrified. Why some games I've been profound by and some games have left me with a watery feeling. Not in, not in the thirsty sense. <laughs> but let us close out and... We will depart on the next leg of the journey. Have a good night. Have a good day. If you would like, send us reviews. Send us comments, questions, or even just enjoy the podcast. And have a good day. XP for heal.